chip on the floor, man. Some neighbors are saying way too loud. That's only in the morning. Welcome in, everybody, to a brand new episode of Loose Lug Nuts, the world-famous NASCAR podcast by the average fan. For the average fan, I'm Evan Roberts, joined alongside Thomas Dick, as always. NASCAR is still in its two-week break, but we are not taking a break. We have a really, really good interview with uh, Pat Gray, who is a former Monmouth football player turned jackman for Team Penske and the number two Keselowski car. Yeah, it's a really great story about, you know, if you're a football player and you're working hard, um, you might not uh, live out your dream playing in the NFL, but there, you know, he mentioned it in other interviews I've, I've listened to in the past and Hey, he just worked hard every day and it ended up paying off something different. And now he has what he would now consider a dream job. So. Yeah. Pretty good story. Great interview. We love talking to him. So here he is, Pat Gray, the Jack man for team Penske and the number two car. All right, we welcome on a very special guest in Pat Gray, who serves as a jackman for Team Penske on uh, Brad Keselowski's pit crew. Uh, first off, thanks for joining us. How's everything been going? How's the season treating you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, the season's great. Uh, we had a good season last year, even though we were runner-up. That's first loser, so if you're not first, you're last, of course. But uh, this season's going good. We got, you know, Penske as a whole has got a couple wins, and it's a long season, so we're starting to kind of put the throttle on for the playoffs here. So it's going great. So uh, prior to getting into NASCAR, you were an all-everything uh, football player at Westfield High School in New Jersey. And then you played defensive back at uh, Monmouth University under some legends, Andy Bobick, Kevin Callahan, uh, Larry Zadilla. So how did you get into NASCAR? So I moved right after I graduated uh, from Monmouth, I moved right down here with my aunt and uncle, um, and not knowing, but the rest of my family eventually moves down here as well. But I moved down here to be around my uncle. He was in the, uh, I guess, physical training industry and not knowing what I wanted to do. I just wanted to kind of surround myself with him cause he was pretty successful. So I come down here, I start working at his one facility and just, talking to the stump word charlotte out to the greater charlotte area so just talking to some of the clients that we had and huge into nascar and i am not i know nothing about nascar you know if you ask me what do you know about nascar i said hey dale Earnhardt, jeff gordon that's it you know and if you show me a picture i might be able to pick him out i don't even know so uh he this my one client at the time he said man you got to come check out the coca-cola 600 which is the big race for charlotte um in the springtime big day you know support our troops and everything so i'm like ah you know i I don't know if i would like it he goes no i have pit passes it doesn't matter if you're a nascar fan or not you're coming because you're gonna have a blast i promise he goes all right he goes then it's a nascar event so there's a bunch of beer (laughs) so i was like all right you know i would have came anyway but so (laughs) we, we uh we go to the pits and he was right. I had no idea about how cool this sport was. We go into the pits. We're in the garage. You're right next to the cars, the haulers, the teams. And uh, it's unbelievable to see what goes into just 
the preparation of each race. And then uh, we walked on pit road and he's introducing me to the people that he knows. And it, it amazed me that all the pit crews were considered ex-athletes. You know, they're all guys that were jacked. And I was like, what, what are these guys doing here? So, uh, you know, he introduced me to a guy that worked for Joe Gibbs and he put me in touch with one of the coaches. There's coaches that work with the pit crews. Uh, and he said, Hey, reach out to this guy. He's looking for a Jack man. So I go meet that coach on pit road. It's probably 10 minutes before the race. And, uh, he, he says, Hey, this guy's a, you know, ex athlete, this and that. And he's pretty athletic. And he basically says, man, we need a Jack man. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, so he goes, it's all right. Hey, here's my card. If you don't call me Monday, I'll call you Tuesday. I was like, okay, I'll call you. And, uh, I called him Monday, set up a time and then went in Tuesday. And this is at Penske. Uh, so I went in there and he said, you know, just bring gym shorts and sneakers and stuff like that. I had a full out combine. Um, which is, this is six months after Mammoth, So I was staying in shape and I was working at a physical training facility. So I had to do the bench press 225, the 5105 shuttle, broad jump, vert, uh, everything, uh, 40 yard dash, like all the stuff we do for the football combine that I, you know, I'm fresh off of football. So I crushed that. And then the next day I started <laughs> and ironically, I was in the fourth stage of an interview for a sales role. And I called the guy said, Hey, I got a weird opportunity. I think I'm going to take it. <laughs> and then two weeks later, I actually jumped over the wall and I started doing some ARCA races. So it, it kind of happened out of the blue. And it's probably the coolest job that I never even knew was out there. Yeah. So you said you started with ARCA. How do, how did you work your way up to be on uh, a Cup Series team? So I quickly learned after being there that, okay, this is a sport. So that you're going to have a timetable, right? It's just like, you know, you're going to have a window when you're going to be, you know, worth something. So I was like, All right, I need to invest a lot of time into this even outside of what we practice, because if I take a long time to develop, then you're not going to be in the top series for a long time. So I had to figure out, Hey, I got to put a lot of effort in at first to get to where I want to be. So I could be at the top level for a long time. So I started in ARCA and I actually didn't work a job uh, the rest of that year, just so I can practice outside of our practice times and was not getting paid very well for ARCA. <laughs> so, but I knew I had to get, I had to, you have to beat people out. It's just like any other sport. You're not just going to get handed to you because you have a good 40 time. It's, hey, you need to be a good jack man. We just, athletic is a, is a plus, but you need to learn how to be a good jack man. So I started in ARCA with Chase Briscoe and we end up winning like five races and uh, won the championship. <laughs> so it kind of set the tone i was like okay here we go so then the net and then the next year i started my nascar i guess you could say kind of debut where we use the lower series of the truck series xfinity series uh, 
for helping developing pit crews. It's a great way to develop. So I started doing the truck series um, with, it was actually Brad Kazowski's team, BKR at the time. So I started doing trucks, some Xfinity teams. And then uh, before that year was even over, which is, you know, my, I've been almost one year after I started, I got a role to beat out the Jackman uh, for the 95 cup car, which was Michael McDowell. And the way that works, you know, it's not a team Penske car, but uh, some of these lower budget teams will get uh, pit crews from the larger companies like a team Penske Gibbs Hendricks um, because we, they, those bigger teams want to develop pit crews so that they can have them ready at their disposal um, where these, so the lower budget teams, instead of investing a lot of time and money into that, they will call the bigger teams like, Hey, do you have developmental pit crews that we can use that'll still perform like we want? So that's, that's where I got my first, I guess, cup start was on the 95. And that was only my, I guess, second season into it. So this weekend we saw one guy get hit by a tire that was hit by uh, Chase Elliott. Another guy had some dehydration issues. Just talk about the physical toll that it, it takes on you. And have you had any injury problems or any uh, close calls? Uh, yeah. So anybody that has to actually jump out in front of the car, you know, you, you need to have great awareness. And I think that's why they kind of look for athletic people um, that have been in some type of sport environment, you know, where, for instance, like, playing safety you can't just stare at one thing it's almost like you have to take in the whole field um so when you have you know you're coming around a car in a pit stall and then you gotta you know your car's coming around you have to jump out in front of yours that's kind of turning in meanwhile the other one's coming behind it it gets it gets dicey right and you have to make the decision of is it worth it to jump out or is it not at the same time, your crew chief wants you out there no matter what, but they do understand if it gets real dicey, you know what, I, they, at the end of the day, they will realize why you didn't jump out, but you don't want to do that a lot. I've never done that. So to put that into perspective of, but I've, I've had a lot of close calls where I've had to lift my jack up and get in between two cars. Um, the good thing is I would, a lot of people don't, realize which it's, it doesn't take away from being hit is that by the time those cars are almost in the pit box they're not traveling very fast um now if you get hit while they're maintaining the pit road speed you know that's fast that's 50 yeah. you know 55 miles per hour at some tracks but by the time they're kind of coming in it's moving slow the only awkward part like you saw in past weekend's event is that the tires are heavy. So it's just awkward when you get hit, you just yeah. get so off balance uh, that it kind of throws you off. Um, but those guys were fine. I would say very rarely do you have at the top series, very serious injuries happen, you know, frequently we do as a pit crew know what, you know, Hey, this is this track like Indianapolis, the pit road is very skinny. So, like, there's certain tracks that we take into account. Hey, just know, keep this in the back of your mind. Keep maybe, you know, keep your head on a swivel. 
Um, so we have those tracks in our mind and, uh, it's, it's something that you always think about, but I think as you get to the top level, you kind of, you almost forget about that on purpose so that it doesn't affect your pit stop. (laughs) So now if someone does go down, is there, do you guys learn different stuff or you strictly Jack man? And then they have like freelancers that'll come fill in if someone goes down during a race. There are some positions where it you can learn different uh jobs but for instance tire changers are tire changers that's the only thing they're learning now the stop requires jackman to tear or carry tires so i think one thing you'll see is you can interchange some teams will have jackman and tire carriers have uh share reps and practice and stuff ready for something like that so that you can have options during a race, but most large team will have uh, almost a backup ready to go at a, at a moment's notice. Um, it was tricky during COVID last year when we had limited people to the track because we couldn't bring backups. Um, so it was almost like cross your fingers and the pit crew coach is the backup. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the picker coach, our picker coach actually was on a pit crew before he became a coach, but he's not a Jackman or a gas fan. So it would have been very interesting if like something during that time happened, but now we're starting to get more people back at the track and it, it makes, uh, you know, so I, I guess to answer your question is we don't really dabble in the different positions because it's so unique and so hard to hone the skills. So what would you say like a normal race week looks like for you? Obviously the race on Sunday, like on Monday, do you guys head back to the shop and watch film? And then kind of how do you get, how do you like stay training? What does your week look like? So Monday through Thursday, we go to the shop and our Friday, sometimes Saturday, I would say is everybody's kind of uh, Friday, Saturday, because Sunday we're going to work. But, um, and I say that because, uh, Sometimes we will do the Team Penske's uh, 22 Xfinity as well. Um, So, you know, we might get – we might be doing Xfinity and Cup, but most of our teams, we only fly in on Sunday and fly out on Sunday. So Monday through Thursday, for instance, this Monday, we go in. It's kind of a lighter day because you're usually beat after a Sunday because, like like I just said, you fly in on Sunday – you do the race and you fly out, but that's a long time of being up usually. So usually Sunday, you're pretty beat. You're wore out from the heat. Um, So we usually come in, we watch film, which is the same film system I used at Mammoth. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yep. So we, we watch film and we have an overhead camera that sees the whole pit box. And then we also have GoPros that are mounted on our helmets so that we can see the up close, uh, interactions and the exchanges happening of the tires coming off and on so we watch all angles of the film then we usually go down and we work out with our strength and conditioning coach and we have a whole like state-of-the-art weight room uh and stuff like that and then tuesday is when we get back on the practice car so we do the besides watching film again we'll just hit the weight room with our strength coach and then we'll also uh, go on. We have an electric practice car that's inside. 
So it's it's pretty convenient because now we we don't have to deal with hot temperatures outside or anything like that. So and we have like a makeshift pit wall and this, but the same thing happens actually in practice. We don't watch film, but we have a video guy that uh, came from Ole Miss probably before I got there, and he's still there now. And he will have the stops right after the whole stops done. He has two TVs or three TVs, sorry. And he has from the right side, the left side and the overhead. So when we do a pit stop, we all look at the TVs and then the coaches will point out where we need to get better or what we need to work on for the day and stuff like that. And that'll happen Tuesday through Thursday. And then usually Friday and Saturday, we have the days off and then when we go to the track Sunday. So this might be a stupid question, but how much does a jack weigh? That's so it's I'm glad you brought that up because it's the question that everybody asks yeah. and then they were shocked by it. So we have a custom jack that's made by Penske with a carbon fiber handle and like even like hollowed out screws and everything like that. It only probably oh, with everything together, it probably weighs 25 pounds. Interesting. So it's super light. Yeah. But that's not the hard part. The hard pump is you're jacking up a car 10 inches in the air with one pump. So I'm only pumping the car up with one stroke of the handle. Um, so that is what they equate to like the force of a 315 pound bench press. Oh, okay. So you're like the guy at the carnival that hits the thing and knocks the bell. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, everybody at the track, when they come in for the pit passes and the crowd comes in, they always ask, uh, that's one of the questions. They say, how heavy is it? And I said, pick it up. And they're always so confused of why it's so light. Yeah. Yeah, that's the easy part. You guys can run around, I can run a mile with this jack. But pumping the car up is what really requires some force. Yeah. So I noticed, like, on the side of the car, there's, like, an arrow that points down to where you put the jack in. Is that right? Like Yeah. So, so what, like, my question would be, you practice so much like do you ever use that in a race like oh shit this is where i need to put the jack or like why would that arrow be there yeah so the arrows the jack peg it's only about that small oh okay so it's about an inch maybe and you have to hit that that's the only place on the car you could jack it can't be the whole side or anything it's that one inch so that that takes a long time for a jack man to be confident at being fast they call it the peg so when you engage you do a, a half stroke to set the jack and then that's when you go back and you give everything into the pump because if you don't set the jack plate to that uh peg then the jack will be kind of going all over the place um but that that creates you need a lot of confidence before you can get fast with that because in a perfect stop that car as it's coming to a stop, I should be pegging that jack plate to the to the peg. But you know, it's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> so, how much do you, as a crew, despise road races? Well, it I I love. It's cool to do a couple road races a year because it's completely different with backwards pit stops i just never understood why they had to be backwards <laughs> i really yeah. don't like why why did they set pit road up like that <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind um 
but it, it it's so crazy though we, like we work on such specific movements that you become so asymmetrical that it's it makes you feel like you're pitting for the first time again like if you look at we look at our numbers and we you know like a jack man we have like 12 different areas where we get measured and it makes me feel like I'm a rookie again when we go to a road course. In a, in a similar vein, have you guys thought about what the, the next-gen car means for pit crews? So, yeah, pretty much every large team has played around with uh, the one lug nut, and that's pretty much the big thing that's changed is the one lug nut. They announced that it's going to happen. Um, so – We'll see. You know, there's there's always rumors in NASCAR of what's going to happen, what's not. Um, me and my team, the way we look at it is, hey, listen, we've adapted over the pit stop where it's been six man to five man to one lug nut. Like it's when it comes, we'll figure it out and we'll be fast. Like we have the resources to. We're all athletic people that are able to adapt. The only, you know, we'll, we'll learn as it goes. Like you, there's, I don't think until you get to a race, there's going to be some things that we're not going to learn until it actually happens. Um, but we've been able to play around with it a little bit. And I would say physically a little bit different, but it's the same style stop, but um, little things like how the one lug engages and how the tire goes on it'll it'll be a little bit of a learning curve and i don't think it'll be too much faster that it's going to blow anything out of the water or it's you know but the one thing that's tricky is i just think it'll be interesting to see the first race next year because i think doing it in practice is one thing but then bringing it to the track will be a whole different animal i think yeah, when they said one lug nut, I was like, he's going to have to get from one side of the car to the other faster because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you'll it, have less time, I mean, to, to, to sort of breathe in between. Yeah, so I think, I mean, a perfect stop now, I don't stop. Yeah. Which, which is real. I will say this stop that we have now is extremely fun. It's fun to do great fast pit stops with accurate tire changers and accurate uh tire carrying but uh i think there's like i said there's a lot of unknowns in the new pit stop where i guess they're finding out where a tire changer they call it like an off pattern right now so there's five lug nuts and you have to hit five off the studs so right now the you know a good tire changer could probably hit five lug nuts off of those studs with the air guns in probably 0.8 seconds and I, the, the big question is now is that one lug nut needs to be torqued so much that I guess they don't know. You might have to stay on there for that yeah. amount. of. So that's where we don't even know if the stop will be faster. It yeah. might be you feeling that it, the feeling for the changers is going to be completely different. They, it's going to be weird for them to learn what feels tight, what's not. So that I would say the, the choreography of that stop will be the same, but the mechanical side of understanding what's safe to go out on pit road will be a different thing. Have you guys ever had a perfect pit stop? I don't know. 
I guess that that's tough to say. Because, I mean, technically, you might always be able to go faster. Uh, because there's, there's so many variables with time. But for us, a perfect pit stop would just be no chain, every changer hitting the lug nuts as fast as they can without missing. So for a lug nut, it's measured there's, you know, there's five lug nuts on each wheel. There's a front changer and a rear changer. So that's them. We call it hitting 20 lug nuts in one stop. So five come off, we put the tire on, five go on, you run to the other side and you do the same thing. So 20 lug nuts are hit, not missed. The tires are put on without having to move them. So it has to go on flush with the studs. And no time, nobody waited for anybody. So it that if that's considered a perfect pit stop, we do that a lot. But you know, there are there are there's so many other variables that kind of go into it too. But we've had we've had a pretty good success with I would say close to perfect pit stops. Yeah. Uh, our fastest pit stop was this year at the All Star race where we uh i would say that would be the closest we did to a perfect pit stop and we every cup team i don't know if you saw that every yeah, cup yeah. Team in that second to last segment or last segment and we got to basically whoever did the fastest pit stop was going to win a hundred thousand dollars uh and we were like 0.2 off what <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was awesome what a cool cool environment but yeah so I would say we've, we've been close to a perfect pit stop. And I don't know if I'll ever say we've done a perfect one, though. Well, like, because the football, I don't think you would ever say, like, you had a perfect game, like, on the defensive side or anything like that. I feel like there's always something that, oh, we could have done this, you know, a little bit better, right? Oh, and the thing is, every race there's going the, – the biggest thing with pit crew is adaptability, like – there was always going to be something that you did not prepare for that's going to happen. Yeah. It's almost something that you kind of learn from being in the sport a little bit, but then also kind of like a flight or fight response where this just happened. What do you do? And it's like, all right, this guy is known to act pretty good in this situation. So that actually is something that you can't measure, but gets taken into account, uh, for your coaches and stuff throughout race day. So not get, we don't have to get into too much detail, but we're very interested in the mechanics of how um, pit crew guys are paid. Is it like a per race rate? Is there a performance bonus aspect? So every team is different. And when I say team, I don't mean individual cars. So team Penske, you know, we field uh, three cars or four because we're with the 21 as well. Uh, so, and it's different than how Gibbs and their pit crew works or Hendrick and their pit crew or Stuart Haas, vice versa. Um, so for Penske, you know, we get, we're, we're with Penske. We're not with the driver or anything like that. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we get, I guess, paid per race and then uh, bonus can change per team. I know some pit crews, uh, at other teams do bonuses through performance. So uh, how do you rank up pit roads? Some do uh, race wins. 
So if your team wins and then how far they go into the playoffs and championships and stuff like that. And that that's not only pick crew, that's road crew and the shop as well. So different teams will include everybody uh, with that. So it, there's every team's a little bit different. And uh, I guess you could say some people will like their team's bonus and some will not. But either way, if you're winning, yeah. you're – you're having a good time. <laughs> I've always heard stories of NFL quarterbacks buying their linemen fancy gifts and whatnot. Do drivers ever do that for their crew after a, a big win? So the, the cool thing that I like, and Brad's done it with us and our crew chief as well. Um, our crew chief will at least get us the, the flags of that track. And then uh, usually we get like the trophy. So um you know, Bristol last year, we got the Bristol trophy or, um, and then the Coke 600, we got the Coke 600 rings. Nice. Um, uh, there's a couple ring races that you, you know, you try to check off. You got the Coke 600 Daytona Indy, I think. And what's the, maybe Darlington. No, not Darlington. I forgot what the other one is. <laughs> But, you know, for us, like Coke 600, you know, you get rings for that. So that was huge. That was really cool. Like that's a that's a tough ring to get that for. Um, but, yeah, it, it's always cool to have something to remember the race from. Uh, and even before, it was tough last year, though, with with COVID protocol. And they didn't really want us doing anything outside the shop. But, you know, Brad would have some get together events like rent out the restaurant or something like that or renting out a movie theater and we went to the movies with the family and everything. Um, so there, we always do cool things like that, but it, it was tough last year. And I feel like even if there's the, even within the company, we kind of had a, even if we wanted to, they kind of were like, Hey, we, we don't really want people hanging outside of this because uh, it was different last year, but I think stuff's starting to get a little bit better. And I think we'll kind of get back to that. So you kind of mentioned it earlier before working with the 22 team uh, in Xfinity. Uh, how does that come about? Is that like a decision that's made by team Penske? That's like, Hey, we want you to you know, get some extra work. Or is it kind of like, Hey, I'm trying to buy this dining room set and I need some extra cash. Can I hop down to Xfinity? How does that work when determining when you get that, that extra race? So Penske's Xfinity program is, it's not looked upon as a lower tier team. Like we have one car in there and it's meant to win. Like it, they don't want to race that and not for it to win. And it's expected to win a championship. So it's, it's interesting. It depends on, you know, we used to have it for developmental when I first started, like it was its own team. Um, recently what we've been doing with that is, uh, one of the four cup teams has basically done that on Saturdays um, and then usually pit the 21 to 12 or 22 on Sundays. And there's different reasons why, you know, if hell, heck we've had some teams that have struggled on Saturdays, but then been great on Sundays and we can't figure out the reason. And then we just have to put another team on there. Or, um, you know, it, it could be 
hey, they're doing pretty good on Saturdays, but then it's affecting their performance on Sundays. So there's sometimes there's no like strict law or rules to why they want anybody on that team. I think they kind of just make an educated decision. And on top of that, like a lot of things that go into this sport is the meshing of teams within the team. So we have our road crew, we have our pick crew, we have our crew chief, we have our driver. And, you know, that has to be a, a, a good harmony within the team too. So if you keep switching out the teams, it might not be the best, but you want that. You want your individuals to be able to mesh within the team as well, or else that could affect performance too. Um, But yeah, I guess I can't, I I don't have an exact answer. It kind of, I guess we kind of go with the flow with that team. And if something's going good, we keep it. But if it's not, you know, we, we have, the good thing is we have a lot of teams or pick crews within the shop that can, do the duty of that 22 Xfinity. The uh, last question I have for you. So during the race, can you, you're hearing all the communication from the spotter crew chief and the driver. Is that right? Yep. So yeah, we have these uh, ear molds that we pop into our ears and we, the radio we listen to is, yeah, we listen to three people. We can hear the crew chief uh, driver and spotter and the road crew has, access to that but then they also have access to their own uh channel that they can communicate future adjustments this and that because um you know we have a lot to focus on and they have a lot to focus on so we just kind of need to be ready at all times and we almost don't need to hear the other talk it's almost better that way for them to decide what needs to be done us focus on when he's coming, when he's not, and they can just communicate to us the final uh, adjustment or whatever play we're going to do for that pit stop. So, yeah, that's that's what we listen to. You haven't had any drivers talk bad about you on the radio, have you? No. Uh, we've <laughs> had – I've had really good drivers. Um, you know, I've had Brad for – this is my second year. I had Paul Menard for two years on the 21 and uh, Michael McDowell and Chase Briscoe. And all those guys are really good guys. I know you guys here on, if you watch NASCAR, you hear a lot of drivers will mouth off and there's some that are known for that more than others. But I think the drivers we have, I think they understand like, Hey, we're humans. So if something happens, you know, it's all right, good. Get it over with. And we got to, we have a race, we have a whole rest of the race we have to get over with. So, you know, strap your helmet back on and get back in there. Don't let that hurt you. So they're, they're pretty understanding. You know, I would say sometimes they just ask like, huh, you know, did I do anything there? Did I hurt that pit stop at all? Sometimes it's like, yeah, you came in, you came in the pit box like a loser or it'd be like, uh, but for the most part, like Brad's been great. He'll say, Hey, did I do anything to, to hurt that pit stop? And sometimes like, no, we just had, you know, a freak thing happen or, you know, Hey, we, no, we just hit extra lug nuts or we missed a hang and he'll tell them. And then usually it doesn't happen again. We're a pretty consistent team. So that's why maybe we don't hear it that much. <laughs>
That's why we laughed at when Atlanta AJ Allmendinger got a speeding penalty and he came over the radio and was like, "Hey guys, that speeding penalty is my fault." And we were kind of like, "Yeah, no shit, we thought it was the Jackman's <laughs> fault." <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, when, oh, go on. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say uh, Jackman at uh, Monmouth, people immediately think of the legend, uh, fitness center director John. Uh, the jackhammer jackman what do people at mammoth uh, tell you when you tell them you're a jackman um there's not too many but not too many of my friends are that in depth to nascar um but they've learned you know over the years my role and they've watched races or um i brought a couple two races so it's I guess the the Jackman role had to be kind of described to most people, even some of the coaches and stuff. Uh, a lot of them just didn't know it. But yeah, I've never got I haven't got a thing of confused from John Jack. <laughs> um, the hunting did you pick that up uh, when you moved down, or were you hunting up in New Jersey? I saw you get some big gobblers, uh, big into the turkey hunting. Well, yeah. Now I'm just the complete redneck now i hunt fish and i mean heck me and kim so my wife kim she was a four-year captain at uh she played defense soccer at monmouth okay so you know we're we got into it pretty deep and i didn't hunt i fished and i was in the outdoors when i was uh in new jersey but I met some people down here and they introduced me and uh, we are completely hooked. I mean, right called me, I was shooting my bow in my backyard. So. <laughs> uh, sounds like a great life. Um, uh, any, before we go, any uh, Kevin Callahan, Andy Bobick stories we need to hear? Oh God. Uh, for Evan, Evan uh, works in uh, media relations with me. Andy Bobick, the day after football games, would come down with his tackle list and every every guy on the team would have like 15 tackles. It was like, no, that that's not possible. <laughs> so I would have to do two different sets of defensive stats. I would do the NCAA official ones and then I do the Andy Bobic where at the end of the year, everyone on the team had like 250 tackles. <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying to think of some good ones. Oh. Bob. I feel like just Bo might be like the hardest person to describe to somebody that doesn't know him. I don't know. I don't know. Different cat. Like if someone if someone told me to describe Coach Bo, I'd be like he's a he's a genius and trapped in a guy that played football. Sometimes he he's excited, and sometimes most of the time he's not. I have no idea how to describe Bo. Uh, but I'm trying to think of a story. There's a lot of, I'm sure if I usually have a text message with all the guys I've played with or Instagram group or something like that. And every once in a blue moon, someone will bring up something. I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about that. (laughs) Half the stuff I probably wouldn't say on this. Well, we enjoyed having you on, and uh, we might catch up to you if, if you let us once the next-gen car comes out, fill us in on uh, like how that's affected your world and 
we wish you all the best of luck. You had some really good pit stops the last uh, race we saw. You guys moved up like six spots that first yellow. Um, just enjoy. Now we know someone on pit row, so we're looking for you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. And like, yeah, I would definitely like to, you know, once that next gen car comes out and it's kind of officially announced and everything like that, I'll be glad to kind of fill you guys in with how practice is going and, uh, you know, how I guess everything with that choreography and mechanical and all the issues that can come with it. (laughs) I'd really like to come out and just embarrass myself on the test car just to see how hard it actually is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you guys ever would like to uh, – I'm sure we, we had a thing last year where we couldn't have anybody in the shop. I mean, we were barely allowed in the shop, but now that everything's kind of opening back up, uh, I would love for you guys to come check out the shop and you guys can come hang a tire and I could show you more than just the pick area, you know, where we work on the cars, paint them, aerodynamics, you know, everything. All right, one last question because I just thought of this when you said it. Do you ever watch the Netflix show The Crew? Oh yeah, we watched it. <laughs> How is that like? Is there anything that's like comparable to what a real shop is to what they portray? Um, they do a good job at. I guess I would say they do a good job at kind of educating some people with how stuff like that works. Um, I think the bigger teams, it's a little, it's a little bit more professional i would say like half our shop or is con- or is basically engineers yeah but i would say that shop would be closer to a smaller team or a lower budget team and that's really what compromises a lot of racing you know i would say the top teams are really kind of just dabble within maybe half to three quarters of the field in the cup series. So you have a lot of lower budget teams, you know, in the lower NASCAR series, the ARCA series, like it, it's very similar to that, but they, they hit the nail on the head with, you know, how stuff deals with sponsorship money and stuff like that. Like it, it surprised me. They did a good job at kind of portraying some of that stuff. All right. Well, again, we appreciate you coming on and give us a new perspective on a different field and the, what goes on at a race. So we really appreciate your time and coming on and joining us. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed it. And like I said, if you guys have any questions, don't be afraid to holler at me. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good one. Again, a special thank you to Pat for joining us. A uh, pretty sweet story an incredible guy too. Um, I think my favorite part of the interview though, was when, we kind of ended the interview and then he just stayed on and talked to us for a while. Just a really, really cool guy. Yeah. And just so much insight. I, it's one of those things you don't realize how much you don't know until you find out how much you don't know. And I didn't know a lot about, you know, the life of a Jack man and the pit crew in general. Yeah. And how they all have to work and, you know, one fluid motion and, you know, we hear it talked about on the broadcast, but I mean, you don't really see every, single pit stop and you know i remember looking back at the new hampshire race where like kevin harvick jumped three spots to go to first but they didn't really show his pit stop and i'm like well, i kind of want to go see that but they only highlight three of those guys when they come down pit road so it's pretty cool to listen to him and you know the, i think the one of the more interesting things that he said was that the actual jack only weighs 25 pounds but then once you're trying to lift the car it's the equivalent of a 310 pound bench press 
which I cannot do. Yeah, I cannot do. Like I asked him, like, oh, how easy is it to be the tearaway guy? Like that's the only job I think on the pit crew I could do, but I don't have any other skills. But he did tell us that there's no like single jobs where you, that's all you do, which is pretty disappointing. Like I could yeah. wheel around tires and stuff, or maybe unload like the hauler, and then like during the race, that's my only job is to tear away the windshield. But kind of sad that he crushed. Yeah, me. I mean, back in the day, I probably could have been a squeegee guy back in the Bobby Hill and Junior days. Yeah, I'm pretty good squeegeeer. That would have been about it. Yeah, I'm probably even too slow to do that but because i really like to like i squeegee it and then i wipe it and then i squeeze there you just gotta go rip, 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 rip. <laughs> in unison with a tired lug nut guy yeah so really good uh stuff from pat gray really appreciate him coming on we'll be back on friday break down some news hopefully got a special interview for you um, but we will continue to Keep you guys informed while NASCAR is on their break. We are going to enjoy our weekends, too. We're, we're not watching at least two races, sometimes three. But uh, we'll keep you in tune. You can keep up to date with us by following us on Twitter at Loose Lug Nuts Pod or on Instagram at Loose Lug Nuts Podcast. We'll be back on Friday. We appreciate you guys for listening. We will see you. I grew up in Texas where football was my game. Until that racing fever started burning in my brain Started running many stocks when I was 13 And won a short track championship when I was just 16 I met a man named Harry Hyde and he built a car for me Sponsored by Granddaddy Hill and Strillin Company We ran in five Grand Nationals when I was 17 My Talladega big dream. But it's me that runs the race Now you can't be a champion Due to luck or circumstance I'll do the best I can For those who've given me the chance Thank you for